Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to This is the Jet Life with Dan Burnham, your guide to the New York Jets sports and much more. And now, your host, Dan Burnham. What is up, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of This is the Jet Life. <laughs> oh, can you believe what the heck just happened on Sunday, Halloween? The New York Jets are big-time underdogs to the Cincinnati Bengals, who have, at that time, the best record in the entire AFC at 5-2. and two. The Jets come into this game 1-5. and five. We are expecting absolute disaster, a shellacking from a better Bengals team. And what did we get? We got one of the performances of the year by any player from Mike White in his first start ever, and the Jets win 34-31 to 31 in a comeback victory down 11 points with under 5 minutes to go. What the heck is happening? Zach Wilson is out. We're playing Mike White, and we're winning? 500 yards of offense? This game was absolutely crazy for so many reasons. They scored a first possession touchdown. They hadn't even scored on a first drive or the first quarter all year. They score a first drive touchdown. Everything's feeling good. They stay in the game. The Bengals continue to score. The Jets stay right there with them. They overcome a negative two turnover differential. They get their first interception of the season. A game clincher, basically. They beat the best AFC division team in the league when they played them. You know who has the best AFC division, the best AFC record now in the league? The Tennessee Titans. We beat them too. Two big time wins for this Jets team that only has two wins. And one of them came on the back of Mike White. You're probably wondering, is this a lucky game? Did the Jets get lucky? Maybe you could think that Mike White, you know, it's his first game ever, stumbles into something like this. You know what I tell you? 45 passing attempts for the guy, 78 offensive plays, and 36 minutes of time of possession for the Jets. That's not luck. When you throw the ball 45 times, and you've got the ball for 36 minutes, there's more than enough time for something to go wrong. And while there were two sacks, two interceptions, that's about it. Mike White did everything else right. He didn't get lucky. He was accurate, and he was consistent. This is amazing, and I can't wait to talk about everything. we got a lot to get to in this podcast episode. A lot of excitement. Probably the most fun Jets win or any game we've seen from the Jets in at least five or six years. The only one I could think of that would be close would be that first game against Detroit where Sam Darnold played his first game. He threw the pick six in the first play, and then after that got better than Jets won. Had a good game. That one was fun. This one was even more unexpected. 
So I can't wait to talk about everything. Tons to get into. We're going to do the usual sections. I am going to switch what's on tap and father time this week because the submission from my dad relates more to the upcoming Indianapolis Colts game. We're going to talk Colts later, so it's going to be kind of in line with that. So what's on tap will be first. But other than that, same sort of sections with a healthy dosage of Mike White in this one. You better believe it. So I need to remind you to rate, review, subscribe to this podcast anywhere podcasts are found. Gang Green Nation podcast series title, This is the Jet Life. You can also follow me on Twitter at Jets underscore Dan. The excitement carries over to that platform as well when I'm done recording these things. And yeah, we can get into it now. We can start talking about the one, the only, Mike White. The big sensation of the week. The flavor of the week. Who is Mike White? Because I'm going to be honest, I didn't expect much from him. I was sitting here on the podcast last week saying, like, this could be one of the ugliest games that we've seen. We are going to get absolutely blown out. Let's at least just put some good plays together. Let's not be out of it instantly. And I was dead wrong on that front. Mike White executed a perfect game. But who is this guy? We haven't really talked about him too much. We talked about how we didn't expect much from him, but we never really gave him a proper introduction. He was there competing in training camp. We didn't think he'd make it this far. We never thought he'd start a game for the Jets, but he did. And now we've got to do a little catch-up. So Mike White, 26-year-old guy currently, six foot five, so a tall drink of water. This guy played college football at University of Southern Florida, transferred over to Western Kentucky. He was also a really good baseball pitcher in his youth, so you know he's got a good arm. This guy was a Western Kentucky player who put up some good numbers over there, but it's a small school, kind of overlooked his performances and everything. He was invited to the Senior Bowl where he had a really nice day. It boosted his stock big time. He went 8 for 11, 128 yards, two touchdowns. I remember watching that Senior Bowl, actually, because the Jets were looking for a quarterback that year, and it was like, hey, maybe if the Jets don't go Sam Darnold, is it possible that they would look a different direction and then maybe get a quarterback later in the draft? And he was one of those guys you potentially could be looking at. Um, They were never going to do it. I didn't think much of it. I was just like, hey, Mike White, he's not that bad. Good Senior Bowl performance. The Cowboys end up selecting him in the fifth round of that 2018 draft. He stays on their roster that first year as the third-string quarterback. In his second year, 2019, Cowboys elect not to have three quarterbacks. They go with two. Mike White does not get invited to their practice squad, so he's a free agent. The Jets pick him up like a month later, and he plays on our practice squad for last year, that 2019 season. This year, he's been waived by the Jets four times in his career. Never played a snap in the NFL except for preseason. And we watched him play in the preseason this year, and he was competing for that backup spot against Captain Morgan. And at that time, we didn't have Josh Johnson. We did not have Joe Flacco. And I think most of us were saying we have one of the worst backup quarterback situations in the entire NFL. Zach Wilson needs a mentor behind him. We need to get somebody better in here. Why are we rolling with Mike White and Captain Morgan only? So we're going into that battle. And even still, even though we're not impressed with the quarterbacks that we have, I think we're still rooting for Captain Morgan because he was the guy that the Jets drafted. He thought that maybe he had the most upside. And at this point, four-year veteran and Mike White, who had never gotten anything done, you weren't really expecting much from him. And in preseason, Mike White didn't look very good. But James Morgan looked even worse. So Mike White gets the job. Josh Johnson comes in to be the backup behind, you know, essentially Mike White and play on the practice squad. When Zach Wilson goes down, the Jets basically tell you what they think of Mike White by trading for Joe Flacco. They also were a little skeptical to the whole thing. Yes, they played Mike White in the first week. They allowed him to start. They thought he was ready for that. They didn't put in Josh Johnson, but they weren't sitting there just like, oh, we're going to be fine. I doubt they would trade for Joe Flacco to be a backup to Mike White for just a two to four week window where Zach Wilson's about to come back. 
doesn't make any sense to trade a sixth-round pick for a guy that's not going to play when it's only a two- to four-week injury. You do have a backup in Josh Johnson if everything goes awry. But the way Mike White played, he is going to continue playing for the Jets at least for Thursday night football against the Colts, maybe the week after that against the Bills. Who knows? Robert Sala was not willing to say that this is Zach Wilson's job the second he comes back. He was saying anything is possible. Mike White, keep doing what you're doing. You never know. You're probably wondering now, do we have some sort of quarterback controversy? Everybody wants to talk about this quarterback controversy. What an issue this is all of a sudden. Mike White comes out and throws 405 yards on 45 attempts, three touchdowns, wins the game, and it's all a big issue. We've got to talk about the drama of the entire thing going on here. Zach Wilson is currently out, not able to play, right? He's going to be coming back somewhere in the next few weeks, but you don't want to rush him back definitely. He's a young, important player. You have to roll Mike White out for at least one week, then maybe you go to Joe Flacco. Mike White looks great, so you're going to roll him out again for Thursday Night Football. No reason to play Joe Flacco. This is Mike White's team currently. And then everything is going to sort itself out. If Mike White plays amazing and throws 400 yards again, three touchdowns and wins the game, you're not going to put Zach Wilson back in. You can't if he's rolling like that. If he comes back down to earth, if he levels a little bit, if he goes down, has a bad game, then you're starting to think, okay, when Zach Wilson's healthy, maybe it was a one-game thing. But we don't have to know that right now. We can just enjoy what's happening because, worst-case scenario, we have at least two quarterbacks that today, November 2nd, we feel like I would be excited to watch either one of them play a football game, Mike White or Zach Wilson. And a week ago, I didn't feel that way. I was excited at the prospect of Joe Flacco being on the team. Like, oh, my gosh, at least these games can be watchable now. What the heck did I know? So I'm happy that, at the very least, we have a guy that can come in and play backup quarterback at a higher level than any of the backup quarterbacks we've really thrown out there in the last years. I've shown Brooks Bollinger, Kellen Clemens, you know, Ray Lucas back in 2000 or whatever when Vinny went down. He was a good backup, led the Jets to a, a pretty good season that year. But other than that, I mean, the Bryce Petties and Greg McElroys and maybe Christian Hackenberg, if he ever played on the field. Like, some of these guys were just so pitiful. And Mike White was lined up to do that again in a Bengals game on Halloween where you thought it was a tough spot. A 1-5 Jets team. Mm. I can't get over it. Still super excited about the whole thing. But uh, no quarterback controversy. We've got two guys we'd like to see play. It's going to work itself out. Both of these guys will have an opportunity to play an NFL game again. If you play great. Arrow points up, people play you more, everything like that. Mike White, let's see what you can do, boy. So we got to talk about the Jets' injuries in this one, just touching on everything real quick. In this game, C.J. Mosley was back. Thank goodness he's really good. He's the best player on the team. We needed him. Gerard Davis is back for the first time this year. So all of a sudden, our linebacker core is Quincy Williams, C.J. Mosley, and Gerard Davis, which is the best the linebacker core has been all year. We also added Tyler Croft back in. His impact was felt in this game. Zaniga, Jabari Zaniga was activated to play in this game and actually made an impact himself. We're going to talk about all these guys coming up in the uh, offense and defense sections. The Jets are still without Mekhi Becton. Robert Sala said he's probably a couple weeks away from practicing still, so you're probably not looking at him until end of November, early December probably. We also played this game without Tevin Coleman, still without Braden Mann. These guys coming back soon. We didn't play this game with Bryce Huff or Corey Davis. Corey Davis is uh, recovering from a hip. Hopefully he'll be back soon, if not this week, then next week. Trevon Wesco didn't play. That's fine. Joe Flacco wasn't ready to play in this game. Didn't need him. And then injured in this game, George Fant was the big injury coming out of this game. 
Michael Carter, too, went down briefly but came back in. George Fant, we don't know exactly the extent of the injury yet. Jets haven't practiced today or yesterday, so there's no way to know for sure. They're just doing, like, if the Jets had had a practice today, George Fant wouldn't have practiced. We still have to figure out exactly what's going on with him. But he probably, it's looking like he may be out for an extended period of time. Chuma Odogo would be the first man up as the backup in that case until you get Becton back or Fant back, of course. The trade deadline was something that came up last week. And I mentioned right before this podcast, basically 4 o'clock today, when the trade deadline happened, would the Jets be sellers? People were mentioning names like Jamison Crowder, Denzel Mims, Marcus May. I didn't think the Jets would move any of them. The only guy I thought had a shot was maybe Marcus May, but I still thought the Jets would stay put. They did for the most part until they made a trade, trading tight end Daniel Brown to the Kansas City Chiefs for Laurent Duvernay Tardif. What? Yes, the Jets trade probably one of the worst players in the entire roster, Daniel Brown, who was behind Tyler Croft, Ryan Griffin, sometimes behind Trevon Wesco, and hopefully moving forward, going to be behind Kenny Yeboah. This guy could potentially be your fifth tight end. Yes, they say he's okay at special teams. Brant Boyer liked his special teams play. I was never super impressed with it. He did make a few mistakes here and there. The Jets trade him away, so no loss, to get Laurent Duvernay-Tardif, who was at one point a starting guard for the Kansas City Chiefs, won a Super Bowl with them. He had a broken bone in his hand this year, so he was on IR for a little bit. They had some other guys worked into their offensive line. I'm not going to sit here and say LDT is about to be a game-changing offensive lineman for the Jets. What I'm saying is he's a better guard than Dan Feeney, in my estimation, and maybe a step below Greg Van Roten, maybe could move into that spot. Gives you a little bit more depth, a little bit more wiggle room to move guys around. We do have some players that can play multiple positions, so potentially if you have more injuries to the tackle spot or an injury at guard, you now have a little bit more wiggle room. Pro Football Focus rated Duvernay somewhere around, you know, between like a 67 and a 57 over the last three years that he played, which was like 2017, 2018. Did not play 2020 because he opted out. He was actually the first player to opt out for COVID because he's got his doctorate and he wanted to go help aid in the COVID pandemic. He decided to, instead of play football, he's going to go out there and actually be a doctor, use his degree to help try to mitigate the virus and and help the world. So he picked the world over football. He ended up winning the Muhammad Ali Humanitarian Sports Award. That was kind of a big deal. So this guy's a great guy, awesome dude, started for the Chiefs at guard, and we traded a backup tight end to get him. Gotta love the trade. The last minute in the 11th hour, the Jets pull the trigger, bring LDT in here. We'll see if he gets an opportunity with the Jets later this year, but at least you feel better knowing you're not right at Dan Feeney or one of those like undrafted free agents you'd never heard of, a Levin or a Murray or something that you saw in preseason. Like, keep those guys off of the field, please. We can't get Mike White hurt. Can't get Zach Wilson hurt. Can't get now Mike White, Precious Cargo. So just make that trade. Other than that, I uh, had talked about potentially Deshaun Watson and the Dolphins. That didn't happen, so we don't have to worry about any of that stuff. So that's the big news at the trade deadline. Some other teams made some moves. Doesn't really affect the Jets all that much. AFC East stayed relatively quiet. So now we got to talk about this game, which I can't wait to do. But before we do that, we do need to take a pit stop at the cooler for a little What's On Tap. That is right, folks. This is What's On Tap. And today I'm drinking something special because I'm having a great week. The Jets won. Always a great week when the Jets win. I was like leaving work on Monday saying, I want to get myself something special. I'm going to go home, watch the game a second time, and I'm going to have something special for myself. So I picked up my current favorite sipping whiskey, which is a Russell's Reserve, Kentucky Straight Bourbon, 10-year-old, delicious, just a nice bourbon. I do like a nice two, three-finger pour, 
neat. Just a an old fashioned cup. And this stuff is good. It's like I think it's like thirty eight bucks for a seven fifty. But I think it's tasty. It's got a nice rattle to it. Um, it's not super sweet, but it's got like some nice caramel flavor to it. Overall, I think that it is smooth. It is delicious. It reminds me kind of like of a, I drink a lot of like Basil Hayden's and Buffalo Trace kind of in that ballpark, but this one is very good. Highly recommend it. If you want to treat yourself, the Jets did win. You do deserve something special. Remember that. We deal with a lot of shit watching this team. They were one in five. Things were ugly. Think of what last year, I mean, every year, really, for the last, like, six years have been so bad. And to watch a game like this where something good happened to the Jets when you didn't expect it never happens. Treat yourself. Have a little something special. So that is what's on tap. Russell's Reserve, Kentucky Straight Bourbon, 10-year-aged. Now, before we move to the actual game, we do have to take a quick commercial break. Alrighty, and welcome back to This Is The Jet Life. So it is time to talk about the game. There's a lot to get to in this one. We got to talk about what happened, the team stats, the coaching, the player performances. There were so many guys that stood out in this game. Great performances all around. 500 yards of offense, great timely defense from all position groups. Basically, the Jets win this one 34 to 31, the Halloween game against the Cincinnati Bengals. I think it's a little lame that the Bengals don't wear orange, a little bit more orange. I mean, the Jets are wearing black. They could just put some orange on. It'd be like a black and orange game. Halloween related. Instead, they choose to go all white, which almost felt like they were trying not to do that. They couldn't change their helmet, but that was the only orange that was really on the field. A little lame bangles. But the Jets come out in this game. They score on that first drive. They stay in it. I mean, there's a point where they're down by 10 right before the half, a minute and 45 to go. And the Jets are aggressive in this game. And they actually go to try to score a field goal at least before the half. They end up getting down there, scored a touchdown. Almost two, one to Keelan Cole, the real one to Braxton Berrios. All of a sudden, it's 14 to 17 at the half, and you're like, oh my gosh, this team is actually trying to compete and win this thing. The team was down consistently in this game, but they were never out. And for some reason, when you're watching this game, you kind of felt comfortable watching Mike White. I mean, he threw 82% in this game, and you're thinking like, man, if anybody can do it, it's him. This guy can't miss today. His accuracy, his diagnosing of the defenses, it's working. So you kind of felt at ease with this whole thing. But at one point, Mike White gets knocked out of the game. He gets injured. Josh Johnson comes in. You're like, oh, my goodness gracious. We already were down one guy. Now Mike White's down, who's like our hero today. Josh Johnson comes in, does an okay job. He makes one dump off to Michael Carter, who does an awesome job with yards after the catch. Josh Johnson did make a decent throw to Denzel Mims that could have been caught for a touchdown. It wasn't. We settled for the field goal. But the next time the Jets have the ball, Mike White comes charging back out onto the field to finish what he started. He continues to dink and dunk to the right guy at the right time. But still, two turnovers in this game for him, a fumble from Jamison Crowder, a couple plays from the Bengals, a couple lucky calls their way, and the Bengals have an 11-point lead with under five minutes to play. The 59 games have played this year where a team was down by 11 points or more in the fourth quarter with under five minutes to go. This is the very first time all season that the losing team came back and won. Mike White is the one out of 60. So he gets back on the field. A nice pass to Ty Johnson. Tiptoes. They review it. Gets a touchdown. Jets don't get the two-point conversion. The very next play, Shaq Lawson tipped pass, interception. The first interception for the Jets this season. They get the ball at the 14-yard line. A couple plays later, Tyler Croft slips through. You forgot about him? 
Boom, he catches it. Touchdown. Jets take the lead by one. They go for a two-point conversion. It's a wannabe Philly special where Jameson Crowder throws it to that hero of the day, Mike White, catching it in the end zone, falling on his back to go up three. The team swarms him, slides in, gives him big hugs, a heroic play from the guy. Then the Jets go onto the field. They give up a couple plays defensively to start the drive, but then a really nice three-play series. A tackle for a loss from Marcus Main, Gerard Davis on a Joe Mixon play. Then big pressure from the defensive line, specifically John Franklin Myers, making Joe Burrow just dirt the ball. And then on third down, Sheldon Rankins gets a big-time sack that kind of puts the game away here because the Bengals, maybe if it was 4th and 10, would have gone for it. But at 4th and 19 now, they have to punt it. So they punt it to the Jets. They never get the ball back again. There was an opportunity that they potentially could have gotten the ball back. They got a personal foul for a hit on Ty Johnson where both players basically lowered their helmets. They called a flag on the Bengals. Bengals fans are probably upset about this, but in reality, they had already had the ball. They punted it away to the Jets. I mean, they had more than enough opportunities to win this game, but they couldn't. And the Jets had opportunities to win this game, and they did. And then the Jets pick up a first down, victory formation. Mike White and the New York Jets win against the, at the time, 5-2 and two Bengals to go to 2-5, and 34-31. Can you believe it? Still can't believe it. I've watched the game three times. Still seems crazy. Holy moly. There were some incredible team stats in this game. The Jets had 32 first downs. That's the most they've had in any game since 1986. This offense. 32 first downs. The Jets had 500 yards of offense. That's almost 200 yards more than Cincinnati had. They were over 50% on third down completions. They had a negative two turnover differential and they still won the game. The Jets had the ball for 36 minutes to the Bengals' 24. They held Joe Mixon and the Bengals' running game to 2.6 yards per carry, and they only allowed two sacks to a good Bengals' front. Trey Hendrickson got one. But oh my goodness gracious. What a performance when you least expected it. In all aspects of the game. And one thing that was a big part of this game that really helped was coaching. And I want to start on the offensive side of the ball because I thought that there's actually a big debate going on on Twitter right now. People are like, did Mike LaFleur change the offense for the Jets? Did they change the game plan for Mike White versus Zach Wilson or what? Listen, in reality, Mike LaFleur is going to change his game script a little bit every single time. What he did in this game was what he thought would work best for Mike White, which is the same style offense, the same set of plays that he always runs, but playing to obviously Mike White's strengths a little bit. And because Mike White was completing them so effectively and the Jets were consistently getting first downs over and over, 32 of them, he got to continue doing more stuff. When the Jets get 10 first downs of the game, he doesn't get to run those plays. He doesn't get third and fours. There's plays that are the most successful are second and fours, second and thirds. You know, when you get an opportunity to potentially go for something a little bit more, the Jets don't get in a lot of those situations. But in this game with Mike White throwing on first down most of the time, They were getting there. He was throwing seven yards on first down, and we were getting to do that play in the playbook that's like, okay, now you got a little wiggle room because if you don't pick it up here, you still have a third and three, which is still manageable. You're ahead of the sticks. Mike White kept him there. LaFleur looked great. I think one of the big things in this game, Michael Floor went up to the booth in this game. In preseason, Robert Sala said that LaFleur wanted to be in the booth, but he kind of talked him into start on the ground, be with the team. It's a better place to have you coaching the players. Just see if you like it, see if it works. They never really said if he did like it or didn't like it, but Michael Floor continued to coach from the sideline for the remainder of the season up until this point. This is the first game that he coached from the booth. So you're wondering, all right, 
Did that make a difference? Was he more comfortable up there? I think he did. I think he didn't get distracted by people around him, people talking to him. Instead, he had his headset, his play sheets, and he got to look, figure the plays out, diagnose them quickly. He saw quick reads going into Mike White. There were no... You'd, you'd be worried with a young quarterback playing in his first game that maybe he'd get to lay a game, so maybe the calls would be coming in late. They weren't. He was getting them out in plenty of time. Mike White was reading the defenses in time, snapping it. So I think that Michael Floor was very comfortable up there. But then you wonder... Are you losing something by not having a coach on the sideline to work with your offense? Well, believe it or not, Zach Wilson's personal quarterback coach, John Beck, former Arizona Cardinal, a player who coaches players uh, all around the league, really. I mean, in his past, he's coached players like Jameis Winston, Drew Brees, Matt Ryan, Prescott, Goff, Stafford, Herbert. There's tons of guys he's coached quarterbacks. He is Zach Wilson's quarterback coach currently in the offseason. And I guess Zach Wilson during the bye week went down to visit John Beck, get a little bit of insight from him. Probably work on some stuff, which is great. You love to see it. They just decided, why have Zach Wilson go see Beck? Why not have Beck be here? So they gave him Jets clothes, put him on the sideline. He was the guy on the ground for the Jets offensively, a mind that the quarterbacks could talk to as LaFleur was up in the booth. They've decided to keep John Beck on the sideline for the remainder of the season. We don't know the exact title yet, but he will be there possibly a quarterback's coach, especially since Greg Knapp, who was supposed to be that position, he passed away, rest in peace. That position is open. So John Beck, he's kind of the guy that you're going to see. You're going to see Michael LaFleur up in the booth, and this whole thing could be working better than ever. I loved the way that Michael LaFleur was aggressive in this game. It wasn't aggressive in terms of throwing the ball 15, 20, 25 yards consistently. It was aggressive in the sense that they could have run this game into the ground. I thought the Jets needed to run the ball to set up the pass, but in this game they passed to set up the run. The first, like, five plays of the game were passes. And in a game like this with a backup quarterback like Mike White, you would almost expect a team to just run the ball until it failed. Run the ball as much as you possibly could. Wait until you have a one-yard play or a negative yard play. And then when you're behind the sticks, now you're forced to throw, and then you put it in this quarterback's hands. They didn't do that. They didn't wait for the run to fail. They passed instead and then had opportunities to run after that. And on top of it, they moved things outside wide, right? They did a lot of end-arounds wide receiver runs, they did some flea flickers, some trick plays, not exactly flea flickers, but passes to wide receivers back to the quarterback, some wide receiver throws, two of them, Jamison Crowder threw. There's a lot of creativity, there's a lot of out wide stuff, they got the running backs going, and they absolutely rocked. It was a great, great game plan from Mike LaFleur, and I can't believe that it worked, but it did. I mean, perfectly. 405 yards, 82% completion in this game, 500 yards of offense, and the Jets won. It was awesome. When it comes to Robert Sala, I think he was fired up, had a great game. It was great to see a coach like him get a win. You know, this team has a lot of fight. You can see it. You'd be worried that after a game like the Patriots, the team would be down on themselves. But no, players like Elijah Moore and Denzel Mims running down an intercepting player, tackling him on the one-yard line just shows some of the fight that these guys have. A couple things I didn't love. I didn't love the 52-yard attempt by Matt Amendola on a fourth and five. I thought maybe they could go for it there or even punt it and put the Bengals on like the five-yard line would have been nice. I don't trust Matt Amendola to make those kicks. Didn't think he'd make it. He wasn't even close. And then I probably would have challenged the T. Higgins play because it looked incomplete. I know they gave like a 40-yard pass credited against Bryce Hall and the catch to T. Higgins. But when you watch the replay, that ball was dropped, and that would have been a good spot to challenge. Defensive coordinator Jeff Ulbrich had a pretty good game himself. They had a stout defense. And even though the Bengals got the ball in the red zone and consistently started drives like inside the five-yard line for various reasons, the Jets still held them pretty well. 
Yeah, the Bengals got a bunch of points in those situations, but the Jets made it very, very difficult and even forced a three and out on the one-yard line, a four and out, really. They went for it, and Quinn Williams got a big-time sack. So good defensive performance from the Jets in this one also. Ben, don't break, big time. Now we got to talk about the offensive players in this game. And where do we start? We start with the player of the game. We start with the man of the hour. We start with Mike White. Mike White was obviously the player of the game. He did things that Jets quarterbacks just simply don't do. He was the first Jets quarterback to throw 400 yards in a game since Vinny Testaverde did it on Christmas Eve year 2000. What? He was the second player in NFL history to throw 400 or more yards in the first start of their career. The only other guy to do it, Cam Newton. He threw the ball 45 times in this game. 37 of them were complete. That's an 82% completion percentage. He had 108 quarterback rating. He came back down 11 points with five minutes to go and won the game, something that never happens. So you couldn't be more excited for him. Do I think that that means that he's going to be a franchise quarterback, that he's the guy, that he's going to come out in Indianapolis and absolutely rock the world again on Thursday Night Football? That I'm not so sure of. He only played a very confined style offense in that one. The Bengals did something the Jets usually do. They played a defense that kind of allowed Mike White to do what he does, and they didn't adapt. They were too stubborn to switch. They said, well, this is what we play, and we don't want to switch what we do. We don't let players dictate. This is how our defense runs. That's what the Jets did against the Falcons. That's how the Patriots beat us up when they play us. The Bengals did the exact same thing. I'm not sure if the Colts will do that or not, but eventually a team will come that forces Mike White to change his approach. He had a couple interceptions in this game, and while you watch it and you say, those aren't really on Mike White. Those are dropped passes. you got to remember, these things are going to happen. Those specific passes are not on Mike White. But just like Tom Brady, when you throw the ball 40 times and you choose to throw five yards and throw underneath the defense consistently instead of going over the top, eventually, when a ball is tipped, there's going to be seven guys behind the player all coming in on that ball at the exact same time. If it goes in the air, they're probably going to catch it. Those are the easiest passes to intercept. If you get down the field in four plays, 75 yards and a couple rocket bombs, not a lot of chances to intercept. But if you throw 45 times, five yards at a time, and everybody's closing in right as you do, yeah, if that ball gets tipped up at any point, it's going to probably be intercepted. So there's way more room for error. And while those throws aren't exactly on Mike White, the style of play does lead to interceptions. And those are the styles. They will look like they're on other players, but it's just what you get from a quarterback that plays like this. Another thing that I worry about is defensive lines getting their hands up, really jumping, maybe not going after Mike White since he gets the ball out so quick and just saying, what if we stay back, jump, and put our hands up? We saw Mike White have a number of passes get tipped in this game. It could be more moving forward as they know, hey, if you're throwing the ball seven, eight yards, you don't get a ton of loft on it. It's kind of just a laser right there. There's no room for the ball to go up and then come down. So if it's going to be low, get your hands up, block them. Opportunities for incomplete passes and potentially interceptions there as well. So... I'm not completely sold on the style. He took what the defense gave. He was super confident. He was deliberate. He read the spots. He found the guy that was open. That was great. His accuracy was incredible. I had no idea his accuracy was that good. In preseason, it makes me look back and say, maybe it was on the wide receivers. Maybe it was on the O-line and everything else, not on Mike White, because that guy's got accuracy. But we're going to have to see what he can do when he's forced to throw the ball downfield, when he gets pressured more in a game, when defenses change things up. I'm super excited. There's no reason to think that he can't do it. One thing we know for sure is Mike White has the ability to surprise the shit out of us. Very possible it happens again. 
Moving on from Mike White, who I'm still so excited of. Congratulations on player of the game. Who would have thought? Who would have thought? Running backs in this game were phenomenal. Michael Carter led the way. He was an easy runner-up for offensive player of the game. This guy had not only great runs, great catches, but he also had some really good blitz pickups in this game. If you look back, he had a couple where he just absolutely stuck the defender coming in. He averaged 5.1 yards per rush, which is easily one of his most efficient games of the entire season. He had 77 rushing yards, that 8-yard touchdown run on the first drive to get the Jets going. He had 9 receptions for 95 yards. He now leads the team in receptions. He's becoming one of the guys. He is kind of one of the biggest parts of this offense. It kind of is starting to run through him. Ty Johnson's getting 4 carries. Michael Pirine got 1. So you got 5 running back carries away from Michael Carter, 15 for him. This guy is getting the lion's share, and he's doing great, great work with it. A couple really nice runs. Tough tough elusiveness, getting the extra yard here and there, putting his shoulder down, acceleration through the holes, good jump cuts. I loved what I saw from Michael Carter. And then Ty Johnson also had an amazing game. He only had the those 15 rushing yards, but he had 71 receiving yards. That nice touchdown we talked about earlier where he tiptoed on the sideline, got in. Michael Carter and Ty Johnson combined for 258 scrimmage yards and two touchdowns. That is how you do it. That's a one-two punch right there. And you'd like, you'd think it would be kind of through the run game, but these guys are so good at pass catching. They had way more pass catching yards in this game than they did rushing yards. These guys have good hands. They get upfield. When you get the ball to them out wide in space, they're playmakers. They don't go down as easily as they as you'd think they would. They're kind of smaller guys, and they don't seem extremely fast, not like the fastest running backs you've ever seen. So sometimes I think guys underestimate just how strong and quick they are, and they get around those corners, and they stay up, and they stay on their feet, good balance, good footwork. They're a good one-two punch. Love what you see. I mean, I've been talking about how I wanted to get Tevin Coleman back in there. You see a performance like this, you're like, we don't even need Tevin Coleman at this point. If you can run Carter and Johnson like that, whew, that's, that's as good as it gets right there from that group. Wide receivers. The wide receivers were interesting as well because Mike White, you know, he threw for 400 yards. A lot was to the running backs, but there's so much yardage to go around. There were 37 complete passes, so six wide receivers caught balls, and those wide receivers combined for 229 receiving yards. The number one guy in that list, Jamison Crowder, he had eight catches for 84 yards. He had the one bad fumble, but he also had two nice throws, one that was a pass interference, a pass to Jeff Smith that he threw, another one, the two-point conversion to Mike White, kind of a heroic play, so that was great. Elijah Moore, he had his best game of the season so far. He did have a penalty on a big play to Denzel Mims that I wish didn't happen. Would have been a nice gainer for Denzel. But Elijah Moore had over 70 yards total in this game, and he was involved in the offense. He was there in the first half. In the second half, he caught some really tight, contested catches. He had a couple opportunities for yards after the catch, ran the ball once for four yards. It was a good game from him. He's getting involved in the offense. This is all without Corey Davis, so you're switching things up a little bit. There's a little bit more looks going to other players. This is the opportunity for them to develop and earn their stripes. Denzel Mims, he did lead the wide receivers in snaps. He had 59 snaps, which is the most of any wide receiver in the game. Up to this season point, though, he had 41 snaps total. This game he had 59, so way more than he's played all year. And he did have a couple catches, 30 yards. Not a bad game from him. He had opportunities. Um, You'd like to see more. He had an opportunity to catch one in the end zone on a pass from Josh Johnson. He definitely could have caught it. He didn't. That's a bummer. He got a false start rocking forward uh, when he was coming out of a motion. That play hurt. So you can definitely still see some growing pains with Denzel Mims. He's not a finished product. If you're wondering why he's not on the field, these are some of the reasons why. 
but he is a talented player. The Jets did not deal him at the trade deadline. It sounded like they got calls on him, and they just consistently said, no, we're not trading Denzel Mims. They will work him into the offense, and as we saw in this game, Michael Floor had him out there for the most snaps of any wide receiver in the game. So he is getting opportunities. He can't act like Michael Floor is purposely not trying to have Denzel Mims on the field. Braxton Berrios had a really great touchdown grab. Almost looked incomplete, but it wasn't. That was big time before the half. And then Keelan Cole had a couple nice catches himself. So he almost had the catch of the year. That one was close. I think it was incomplete. But he had a couple other reliable spots where Mike White just dumped it down to him. He got the yardage. Ended up with a solid game himself. Tight ends, it was a quiet day, but Croft had a few nice blocks. He snuck by, got that big touchdown. That was huge. So Croft seems like a definite improvement over Ryan Griffin. Ryan Griffin is not very good. He's not a great blocker. He's not a great weapon. Croft isn't either, but he's okay as a receiver. I mean, he gets open and sneaks through more often than Griffin, and he's a slightly better blocker as well. So Croft better there. We don't have Daniel Brown anymore, so we'll see what Wesco and Yaboa's involvement are moving forward in that group, and if anybody goes down, obviously those two guys will be moved up into extensive minutes. We'll see what happens. The offensive line, I love what I saw. What a great performance. I mean, it's easy when your quarterback is getting rid of the ball in like two and a half seconds on every single play. It's deliberate, throwing it there. He's not scrambling. He's not breaking the pocket down at all. He's staying right there like a statue and then delivering it on point. So it makes it easier. But they only gave up two sacks in this game. The rushing attack was amazing. A lot of those passes to the running backs, you saw guys like Elijah Vera Tucker getting outside and making blocks downfield. Elijah Vera Tucker had such a good game. This guy's getting better and better every single week. I mean, he really is starting to look like a Pro Bowl guard. At first, I think, the first couple of weeks were like, all right, he was injured, the miscommunication's not really there. Then the next few weeks, you're like, all right, Elijah Vera Tucker's coming along. These last two, it's like, man, he seems like he's almost there. He's helping guys out on their blocks, knocking people over. He's pulling, he's getting downfield, he's sealing edges, he's doing everything, and he's looking damn good doing it. So I am super excited about AVT right now. But everybody played well on the O-line. Even Chuma Adoga, who came in when George Fant got injured, left the game. Chuma came in and put up serviceable minutes. And that's a guy that you have there to be a swing tackle and play in case something happens. He was called upon. He did his job, so you got to be happy with that. It may be Chuma Adoga again against the Colts, so... Obviously, he had one good game. It doesn't mean that he's going to be great moving forward because we've seen a decent body of work from Chuma over the years that says he's not an elite tackle. He does have the ability to get beaten on plays and make mistakes. Hopefully that doesn't happen. We shall see. But great offensive performance. And now we've added Laurent Duvernay-Tardif, LDT. So one more guy to the mix. We'll see if he starts plays. you got to feel okay about the offensive line. You want to get George Fant back. Kai Becton a few weeks away, but when the guys are healthy and that unit's together, you feel like it's the best we've had in a long time. So now we are going to move over to the defensive side of the ball, but before we do that, we do have to take a quick commercial break. Alrighty, and welcome back to This is the Jet Life, where we are about to talk about the defensive performance in the Jets' 34-31 win against the Cincinnati Bengals at home on Halloween. Defense played really well in this game. The offense gave away a couple short fields, two interceptions from Mike White, gave the Jets obviously tough field. One of them, they stopped him on the one-yard line, had a great stand there. And Jameson Crowder also had a fumble. So we had three turnovers in this game. Didn't help the defense a ton in that aspect, but they came up and made nice plays throughout this game. Quinn and Williams, we're going to talk defensive line first. Quinn and Williams had a massive sack 
on a fourth and goal play where it was that one where they had the interception where stopping the one-yard line. Burrow had an opportunity to potentially get the ball into the end zone. Quinnen Williams, big-time sack. Robert Sala was fired up. Great to see it from Quinnen. Sheldon Rankins had a huge sack late, almost sealed the game. He also had a great tackle for a loss earlier, come missling in on a running back. Good game from Sheldon Rankins. Foley Fadikasi, he had a penalty, but he had a few really nice tackles in this game also. Happy with what we saw from him. Jabari Zaniga, what is he doing playing out there? I have no idea, but he got a strip sack. His first sack of his career, a guy that we thought maybe had nothing to give in the NFL, you know, Ja'Kai Polite 2.0, he comes out there and gets a strip sack. Jets don't get the ball back, but what a great opportunity there. And I just want to say, if you watch that play again, Nathan Shepard was blocked horribly, fell down, and then when Zaniga knocked the ball out, it actually bounced into Nathan Shepard's arms really quick and then bounced out. So not only did he get blocked into the ground, when he was on the ground, he could have just picked up the ball. He did not. Not a great stand from Nathan Shepard there. John Franklin Myers was quiet overall, but he did have a really nice pressure on the last drive of the game that the Bengals had. Forced Joe Burrow to dirt the ball. That was a huge play. And the defensive player of the game, coming from this defensive line, is one Shaq Lawson. Shaq Lawson made the play of the game, arguably the defensive play of the season. It was the first interception for the Jets on the season. But he tipped the ball in the air himself, caught the ball for an interception on the 14-yard line when the Jets were down and they needed to get the ball back to try to win the game. He did it, put him on the 14-yard line. The Jets proceed to score a touchdown, take the lead, Never looked back, never gave the lead back. Shaq Lawson didn't have any tackles in this game, but he did have another pass deflection, and there is no bigger play than that one. That was like four minutes left in the game, maybe less. And the Bengals, if they got a few first downs, could have weighed the clock, game over. But right there, first play after the touchdown to Ty Johnson. Tipped, intercepted. Player of the game, Shaq Lawson, for coming up huge, a game-winning play. When you look at the linebacker group, this was a strong group. C.J. Mosley's back, 100% of snaps were played. He's a huge difference maker. Led the team with 10 tackles, 8 of them solo. If you remember last week when C.J. Mosley didn't play, the leading tacklers were the two safeties, May and Davis. This week, Mosley's back, shutting it down. Made some really big plays in this game. Gerard Davis, he played the second most snaps at linebacker with 68%. I think he had some good speed, played some balls really nicely as well, made a couple nice tackles. And then Quincy Williams who had a concussion last week, was able to play in this game, played 59% of snaps. He looked pretty good in his you know, small amount of time as well. Jets didn't get too beat up in the middle of the field, and Joe Mixon averaged 2.6 yards per carry, so you weren't giving up too much there. This is the best linebacker group you could have, is those three guys, Mosley, Davis, and Quincy Williams. I think that the guy that's got some potential on the bench, maybe if Hamza Nasruddin comes back, gets healthy, and then can just develop behind and maybe play you know, sparing Snaps here and there, five snaps, six snaps, just to get the NFL speed to keep developing because he's a transitional safety right now going into that linebacker spot. It's going to take him some time. You can play those four veterans in Williams, Davis, and Mosley, let the other guys learn, and that's as good as that linebacker group gets. Looking at the cornerbacks, they really just played three cornerbacks in this game. It was Hall, Eccles, and Michael Carter, too. Michael Carter, too, has clearly surpassed Javelin Guidry as the number one option to cover the slot. The nickelback position was one that was kind of going back and forth between the two earlier in the year. Right now, it is all Michael Carter. And Guidry did play a few snaps in this game. He played six of them. But that's because Michael Carter got injured. Other than that, it would have been 100% for Eccles, for Hall, and for Michael Carter. So that's kind of the three 
unit that you have there. And Bryce Hall played a great game. If they didn't have that one big play to T. Higgins that was actually an incomplete pass, there was one or two others. I mean, when the play goes for five seconds or six seconds and Joe Burrow throws a touchdown to Jamar Chase to Eccles, or if he throws one when Bryce Hall's in coverage, it's not really on them. If you're trying to follow a guy for five seconds, eventually it comes to hopefully somebody can get some pressure before that. Those are tough asks, so I don't give too much to them for uh, allowing those plays. Hall was pretty good. Otherwise, he made some really nice plays, nice pass deflection in this game. Eccles was up and down, had a couple nice plays, did get beat on a few, but when you think about it, like, did we ever expect Eccles to be playing 100% of snaps at a decent level? He's doing it at a decent level. Bryce Hall's doing it at a good level. Eccles, decent. And Michael Carter, he's one of the better players in the defense, especially in that back half. He's playing well this year. He had a nice game in this. He had a tackle for a loss. He's tackling really, really well. you got to be happy with what you're seeing from him. So in a year where the Jets came in with, like, no cornerbacks and just drafted a bunch of flyer guys, and we're like, well, we hope we figure it out with Eccles, Pinnock, Michael Carter. We don't know. It's working. These guys are doing a good job, and I think we're finding that maybe they're not uh, – maybe Eccles isn't you know an all-time great player, but he looks like he belongs on an NFL roster and can at least – execute the game plan that Salah and Ulbrich are putting out. Happy with the cornerbacks in this game. Safeties made of this thing. He's reliable. Ashton Davis played 98% of snaps. A lot of the yardage that Joe Burrow threw to wide receivers and tight ends even was credited to Ashton Davis. He really had more bad than good. Doesn't really show up and make any good plays. He makes tackles here and there, makes them look difficult, gets up slow, does it kind of deeper in the field rather than coming up and hitting a guy. Ashton Davis is our doghouse player of the game. It's hard to find one on this one because the Jets play so good. There's so much positivity around. But with the amount of time that Ashton Davis spends on the field, his entire body of work here in two seasons, he's not there yet. He just frankly isn't. And I don't know how long it's going to take him before he can make an impact and can read things quickly and get up there, tackle better, something. Be good at something. What is he great at to you? Is he a great tackler, comes up and does great stuff in the box, hits the linebackers hard? Does he have great pursuit? Coverage isn't great. He doesn't have any ball skills that we've seen so far. He gets injured, and he's out there a lot. So I'm looking for more from him, but with the snap share that he's getting and the limited productivity and giving up some big passes without making up for it in other ends, everybody else in this game that made a mistake, they made up for it elsewhere. They did another play here, something else there. Ashton Davis, I mean, a safety getting a couple tackles in a game is like, all right, man, like you're the last line of defense. The guy's just coming to you. You've had six seconds to figure out where the guy's going, just tackle him. It's kind of like the bare minimum performance from a bad safety, and that's what we're getting. So hope to see more from him. I don't like to put him in the doghouse, but we do need to see more because he is getting way too much time on the field to not make an impact. That's what we got for the defense. We're going to move to the special teams. Special teams was kind of boring in this one. Morstead punted one time. Man, we'll be back soon. Amendola missed that 52-yarder, made the other two kicks he tried, two for two on extra points. This is a guy that, yes, we always talk about. Matt Amendola has a real cannon for a leg. He can kick from so far. But at this point, you don't want him kicking from so far because he doesn't ever make them. Have him kick from 40 or in until we can trust this guy. He's not having a great percentage kicking this season so far. He's missing some. He's not horrible. I'm not going to sit there and be like, wow, this is one of the worst kickers we've had in the last five years because we've had some bad kickers. But he's not a great kicker. He really is not at this point. So get him more comfortable. And until we see that he can make a 52-yarder, let's unless we have to type of thing. You know, if it's fourth and 10, that's different. If you have a fourth and three, we just go for it. Anyways, that's what we got in the kicking game. Got to find a special teams player of the game. 
It's got to be Berrios. I know Berrios gets a lot kind of like just handed to him. But he had a 16-yard punt return. He had a 36-yard kick return. So decent return game there. And at the end of the day, Braxton Berrios has been consistently the best return man in the punt game and kick return game. He doesn't ever fumble it. He does it cleanly. He makes good decisions. You can trust him. And he's better than the other guys that try to do it. So when you are the best person at a job that is being competed for by multiple players, yes, you do get more benefit of the doubt and player of the game. There's no competition for a Hennessy, Morstead, or Amendola. Berrios could be surpassed by somebody else on the roster at all those positions in special teams. The other players could not. So Berrios, special teams player of the game, solid return game. Yeah, like what you see there. We're going to do an AFC East check-in, just a quick one here, because we still have uh, the Colts game to get to in the father time, so I want to kind of fire through some of this stuff. The Dolphins lost to Buffalo 11-26. to They're now 1-7, the worst team in the AFC East, and their next game is home versus the Texans Sunday at 1 p.m. The Bills beat the Dolphins. They are now 5-2. and Their next game is at Jacksonville Sunday at 1 p.m., so a pretty easy game for them there. Patriots, unfortunately, somehow beat the Chargers 27-24. to They're now 4-4. Four and four. They're now potentially looking at a wild-card playoff spot, maybe even the division if they can beat Buffalo and they play them. And their next game is at Panthers this Sunday at 1 p.m. Sam Darnold's being evaluated for a concussion. The other backup quarterback there is, like, the former XFL star P.J. Walker, who hasn't played great this season so far. That could be another win for the Patriots. If they get to 5-4, and four, like, oh, what a bummer. They hadn't beaten anybody good in the season. Then they beat the Chargers. And, uh, yeah, this is kind of upsetting. But the other two teams we're following are the Seahawks and Panthers because we have draft picks from both of them. The Seahawks in the first round, the Panthers in the second and fourth round. Both of those teams won this week. Seahawks beat the Jaguars. They are now 3-5. and five. Their next game is against the Packers, so they could potentially lose that game to the Packers, but Russell Wilson did get that pin out of his finger. He could potentially be back to play. When I got the pin out, it took like a week or two for me to kind of get it back into into shape because it hasn't bent in so long. But he had it in for less time than I did. I had it in for like eight weeks. He had it in for about three or four. So I'm sure it's not as stiff as mine was. And he's going to be working so much harder at it with his physical therapy and everything. It wasn't a big deal to me because I was just like a kid and it was kind of nice to have an excuse in school to not be able to write. And like, oh, I guess I can't take notes today. So we'll see. If he comes back, it's going to make that team better. We want the Seahawks to lose as many games as possible. We really need them to, and this Packers game could be a good opportunity there. The Panthers, their next game is going to be uh, against the Patriots. So if they lose, there still is some pos- some positive stuff going there. You know, the Patriots may get a win. Eh, that sucks, but the Panthers get a loss, and the Jets move up in the second and fourth round with that draft pick. So now we got to move over and talk about the upcoming game. The Jets' last primetime game of the season. They only have two. The first one was against the Falcons. This game is going to be in Lucas Oil Stadium, which is one of the grossest fields you've ever seen in your life. Thursday night football at Indy, 820 on Fox. This is a big one here. Somehow the Jets are still 11.5-point underdogs to this stupid Colts team with Carson Wentz. We got Mike White, who's like the hero of the week, and somehow we're still getting no credit, but we're going to talk about this game, what we think we can see from the Jets. Before we do that, We do have to give my dad the floor for his father time because he wanted to talk about this Jets-Colts game primarily. He did touch on the Bengals' win, but he's looking ahead because it's a short week. we got to get ready. So this is this week's father time written by my dad, David Burnham. Here we go. Sorry, Bengals. You stepped into the biggest trap game of the year. 
All cylinders were firing for the Jets, and Mike White got rid of the ball in two and a half seconds. Time after time, on time, usually on target, and it was a long plane ride back to Cincinnati. The Bengals and Titans are potentially playoff teams. Our Jets beat them both. Do we believe? Do they believe? Coach Sala's number one job is making sure that the Jets believe. Last Sunday, the Colts were swept by Tennessee, their division rival in overtime at home. This was more than a loss. It was a disaster. They were a dejected team last Sunday, and now they have all sorts of doubts and questions running in their collective minds. While the Jets played a magical game, Mike White shocked the sports world with a convincing win over Cincinnati. They were floating on air, happy young players tasting well-earned victory. There was no doubts in their mind. Needless to say, there was a big difference between the Jets and Colts locker rooms at 5 p.m. last Halloween. Polar opposites. So Thursday, the Jets visit the Colts and we will have two teams meeting with completely different mindsets. I don't know if matchups really matter in this game that much. Receivers versus corners, O-lines versus D-lines, schemes, and forget the spread. Who can predict this one? The Colts are coming off a bad loss, a crippling defeat with only a few days to recover mentally and physically. They left their souls on the field in a horrible loss. So they're looking to right the ship. Will they be ready? The Jets will come in sky high, ready to take on anyone in their way. Right now... This young team doesn't care who they play. They will be on fire. They need to play clean, penalty-free game and stay in control. A complete team effort with many big contributors, just like last Sunday. Look for Mike White to replicate his level of excellence. I think he will. A quick, early first-quarter score would help deflate what little air is left in the Colts and Lucas Oil Dome. Oh, and our new field general, number 57, is playing again. As an old Jet number 57 once said, Can't wait. Well, I can't wait. Go Jets. End scene. Whoa-ho-ho. Goosebumps all around. Absolutely. My dad on this one is talking not about the actual game plan in this one against the Colts. He's talking about the mindsets of these teams. A dejected, beaten, battered Colts team that could have been one game behind the Titans in the division. They're now, they have the division sweep against the Colts. The Colts are now four games back, essentially. On the Titans. And while the Titans lost Derrick Henry and maybe the Colts see a little bit of light there as, oh, maybe we can catch them. They are so far back right now, and this is a short week for them. And my dad's right. We feel like we can beat anybody. They feel like losers. They feel scorned. And it comes down to this mentality. Who's going into this game thinking they can win? Are the Colts feeling like, you know what, it's time for them to get back on track? I don't think there's a doubt in my mind that the Jets are ready to go in there and win this game. They're young. They had a convincing win. They're feeling good. Why wouldn't they have all the confidence in the world? I mean, hell, Mike White's playing quarterback again. They got to feel good about that. They all said in the press game, like, they had no doubt in their mind that he could do it. He's a dog. He's an animal, a savage. This guy's Mike effing White, for crying out loud. So we're going to go in feeling good. And if the, if the Colts are feeling sorry for themselves, then shame on them, because the Jets will beat them if that's the case. This is a mental game. It's physical. There are schemes. All of that goes into it. I'm going to talk about that stuff, but my dad's right. A lot of mental stuff here. We're up high, they're down low. Can they get up in time? And can we make sure that we're not too high on ourselves, that we're making big mistakes or you know, getting too big for our britches here? We still have to play a clean, penalty-free game, like he said, like my dad's a nice, executed game plan. And I agree with him, an early first score would be huge for this team because we had that against Cincinnati, and I think all of us instantly on that first drive had confidence like, oh, oh my gosh, I actually feel okay about this game. And I think a lot of players felt that way too. I think the defense thought to themselves, okay, this is for real. 
I think the offensive th- side thought like, all right, we're moving it. We're doing stuff. It's working. And if they can do that again against the Colts, I think they're going to keep that confidence, keep it rolling. So an early score would be huge. I can't wait. Just like Bart Scott, just like my dad, this is going to be fun. Thank you for the father time, Dad. That was a good one. So now we are going to talk about this game coming up against the Colts, where the Jets are, last time I checked, 11.5-point underdogs to the 3-5 and five Colts. When you look at it, there's two sides of it. The Colts' offense versus the Jets' defense, and the Colts' defense versus the Jets' offense. We're going to start with the Colts' offense. In this one, they got Carson Wentz. He's had a decent season statistically so far this year, but if you watch him play, he tries to play hero ball too much, and he makes really, really dumb mistakes. I think the Jets can get some splash plays against him. I think that he will make mistakes. Their best running back is Jonathan Taylor, who's having a good year. He's got 650 yards already, six touchdowns, doing really well. you got a guy, Naheem Hines, on the back end who's pretty good at receiving but doesn't get the ball nearly as much. When you look at the wide receivers, looks like T.Y. Hilton's going to be out for this game. That'll make their number one receiver in this one. Michael Pittman, he's had the best year for them so far, 594 yards. He's a big body guy. Not the fastest in the world, but he does have speed. But he's physical. He's tall. I wanted to draft him last year when he was a rookie coming out of USC. He went before the Jets' second-round pick, so we didn't have an opportunity there. He went a little earlier than I expected, but he's having a great year. The guy behind him, probably Zach Paschal. Not a super tough cover, in my opinion, but he is kind of a possession guy. Their offensive line has been really, really good in run blocking. 4.6 yards per carry for the Colts, but they have given up 16 sacks, and some of those are on Carson Wentz. Some of them are on the offensive line. Uh, Probably more than not on Carson Wentz, though I haven't watched all their games. It's just kind of in Carson Wentz's DNA to make bad decisions, hold onto the ball, try to run it, get injured, throw picks. I mean, you saw the way they lost the game against the Titans. He was basically going to get tackled in the end zone for a safety last week, at which point the Titans would not have the lead, and they'd have like a minute and 30 seconds to try to score a touchdown. And instead of just letting that happen, he decided to just hand the ball to Elijah Molden, another rookie from this year that I wanted to get, in the end zone. The Titans got a touchdown right there and took the lead. It was like bizarre that he would even consider that to be an option. When you look at the other side of the ball, the Colts' defense versus the Jets' offense, the defense over there is okay. They got 17 sacks, led by DeForest Buckner, who's got four. He's a good player. They got nice linebackers in Darius Leonard, who's really good. My dad says he's been watching him, thinks he's a step slow this year, but still playing at a good level. Bobby Okariki is also a good player in that linebacker group, leading their team in tackles. Overall, they're probably better against the run than they are in the pass. They're kind of a middle-of-the-pack defense, and similar to Cincinnati, I think the Jets can use the same type of game script against them. I think that unless the Colts decide to change the way that they play defense, they do a lot of uh, Matt Eberflus, their defensive coordinator, uh, a lot of like Tampa 2 styles and a lot of coverage with uh, zone defenses. And while they can switch it up, they could play man defense. Are they willing to go out of their comfort zone to try to stop Mike White? We know that Mike White's probably, in his perfect world, Mike White is going to want to do what he did against the Cincinnati Bengals. I mean, it worked perfectly for him. Can the Colts make him uncomfortable? Can they change what they do? A lot of defenses in this league don't like to switch it up. The Patriots are so good because they're one of the teams that do. They're one of those teams that like play against you, and they're like, all right, what are we going to do against this team? A lot of teams just go in there and say, this is our defense. The Jets are one of those teams right now, currently. I mean, these guys are so young, they do need to develop. They're not at a point right now where they can just like do different defenses each week. But when you sit there and you got a team, it's like, well, this is how we run it. This is what we do. We're a bend, don't break. We operate this way. It's all about X. You got to be able to adapt. And if you can't and you're playing in the wrong type of matchup, 
That's when you get exploited, and that's exactly what happened to the Bengals, and I think it could happen against the Colts. My dad had a lot of confidence. In his father time, he actually goes, I think that Mike White is going to continue that same level of excellence. We're talking about a 405-yard passing game, three touchdowns. He's going to continue that level of excellence. That would be ridiculous. That would be incredible. We would have so much fun. We would be buying Mike White jerseys, but I'm not sure it's going to happen. I said a few keys to defense, I think, for teams moving forward is going to be to bring more guys into the box, maybe eight guys in the box, make Mike White beat you deep, have your defensive line get their hands up. If he wants to throw quick and you're not going to have an opportunity to get pressure on him, then get your hands up there with as many guys as you can and bat balls down. Get some interceptions that way. We'll see if the Jets can do it. I think this is a, uh, a very interesting matchup because the Colts are definitely a beatable team. They have an okay offense and an okay defense. They're just an okay team. And that's kind of the perfect measuring stick for a Mike LaFleur, for this Jets defense that's pretty healthy right now, for a Mike White, a guy that we feel really high on right now, but everything could change so quickly, so dramatically in two days. It's going to be very interesting to see how the Jets come out and handle this one. I think that there's definitely a scenario that the Jets win this. And after seeing what I saw from Mike White, there's no reason to believe that he can't come out there with that accuracy and that decision-making, and that confidence. I saw him in interviews before he was a Jet and as a Jet. He's always been super confident in himself. He truly believes that he should be out there, that he was going to be the first pick in the draft, that he should be a starting quarterback in the league. At the same time, he's not a jerk. He's a humble guy, and he's like, I'll do exactly what's asked of me. I'll play for as long as they want me to play. If Zach Wilson's back at quarterback, that's fine. I'll do what's asked of me. But he does think that he can do anything out there. But he doesn't try to. He doesn't try to play hero ball. He just does what he's supposed to. I think that the Jets will win this game. I do think the Jets will win. I think it's going to be close because I think these teams are pretty evenly matched now that Mike White is playing, you know, this type of football and operating in the offense like this. We've got good playmakers. We do. We've got a pretty good O-line. We've got good playmakers. I think that now that we've seen Michael Floor with an offense that can actually execute his game plan, I think the game plans are pretty good, better than we were giving him credit for. Defensively, we don't get the most pressure in the world. We don't have the best coverage guys in the world, but they're all pretty good, and we got some really good linebackers, similar to the Colts. So it's right there to toss up. But the way the Jets are feeling sky high right now, and the Colts are down in the dumps, and this is a short week where the Colts won't have as much time to prepare for a quarterback that they don't know much about. I mean, they didn't even practice today. They're just looking at film. What did they do wrong in their game? They have basically one day to try to install their plan against Mike White, who they've seen very, very little on. I think that is in the Jets' favor. I'm going to say a really close game in this one. Jets win 24-23 to to go to 3-5 and on the season, a two-game winning streak, and at that point, we'll be talking about what the heck do we do at quarterback. I'm excited for the game. I can't wait. Last primetime game of the year, Thursday night. Be there or be square watching that game, getting hyped. Let's see if Mike White can keep going. Is he the future of the New York Jets? Who knows? At this point, there is so much mystery, it is possible. We will figure out so much this Thursday. I can't wait to come back and talk about it a week from there. That'll be the 100th episode. Can't wait for that either. All sorts of good stuff in the air. Thank you for joining me on this podcast this week, guys. Congrats on the win, 34-31. Enjoy it for another day until the Jets play again. We'll talk about that one. Till then, I'm Dan Burnham, and this is The Jet Life. (laughs) 